And listeners, you're back with us, and we're ecstatic to be here. This is Kim Honeycutt. I am psychotherapist and happen to be the founder of ICU Talks. I'm here with my little brother, Dan. And I am Dan Bruzek, her Hi, sidekick. Dan. Hello. He's so upset that I called him a sidekick. No, I, I actually it's a like compliment. it. Do you no, like I, it? I've got nothing else to go on. I got, right. You know, because I'm kind of, you know, between things of career. That's because you retired at a young age because you were so successful. <laughs> that's not, so let's not minimize. successful. Let's not minimize so. that. So anyway, Kim and Dan here with you with ICU Talks Podcast, Hear Voices. And you're about to hear the voice of a Brit of Nikki Hardy. You got 25 minutes of an accent that's absolutely wonderful, but even more than that, a whole lot of really good information and a love for our Savior. Yep. So listen up and enjoy. Uh, Yes. Yes, I'm a Brit in the USA, and I've been told that, you know, I could read you the phone book, and you'd all think I was absolutely terrific. So um, (laughs) I'm off to a good start. But tell me, are you familiar with the Hunger Games? You know, the trilogy, the books, the movies, all that kind of stuff. Well, if you're not, you might not know that it takes place in a dystopian America called Panem, where there are 13 districts that are controlled and ruled over by the um, oppressive capital. And every year, as a punishment for a rebellion by one of the districts, The capital enforces the Hunger Games on all of the districts, and each district has to um, supply two tributes, two teenagers who are selected at random, one boy and one girl, and they have to fight to the death in the Hunger Games until there is just one tribute left alive. And this series, The Hunger Games, has become a runaway blockbuster success, and so many people ask the question, why? has a a show, a a film, a book series about teenagers hacking each other to death become such a success. And really, the more I watch them, and they are gripping, I read every single book and followed Katniss on her journey, and you know, I'm, I'm there, I'm there. But why? I think it's not because it's a story about teenagers hacking each other to death. It's a story about hope. It is a story about hope. It is a hope that starts really, really small and is fanned into flame, and it becomes dangerous. And I've got a clip for you from The Hunger Games where President Snow, who is the president of the Capitol, is talking to Seneca Crane, who is the game maker. He is the guy that orchestrates the game and manipulates it to make sure things are happening at the right time. But Katniss is still alive. Much to everybody's surprise, she is still alive. And what is even worse, as far as President Snow is concerned, is that hope is building. Hope is building in the districts, but hope is also building in the capital. And so I'd like to show you this quick little clip. Seneca, why do you think we have a winner? What do you mean? I mean, why do we have a winner? I mean, if we just wanted to intimidate the districts, why not? round up 24 of them at random and execute them all at once. Be a lot faster. Hope. Hope? Hope. It is the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. Spark is fine, as long as it's contained. 
So, so contain it. Contain it. Hope, the only thing that is stronger than fear. You know, Panem and the 13 districts were oppressed. They were hungry. They were fighting for their survival. And, the, and President Snow was worried about the, the spark of hope that needed containing. And it got me thinking that even in the midst of our toughest situations, our toughest pain, that hope is dangerous to what's painful. Hope is dangerous to what's painful. And the Hunger Games are really significant for me because they were released in the cinemas, or the movie theaters, as you guys say, in the cinemas in March 2012. And it was as the ball dropped, New Year's Eve 2011 to 2012, that I sat with my sister as she died of cancer. And that was just a few years after I'd lost my mum to the same disease, aggressive small cell lung cancer. And then just six weeks later, a couple of weeks before The Hunger Games was released, I was diagnosed. Now, mine wasn't lung cancer like theirs. Mine was rectal cancer. I know I can now say it like in a situation like this and not call it colorectal cancer or anything a little bit more um, sanitary, shall we say. But, you know, it was painful. It was terrifying. And... I'm Hardy, you know, Nikki Hardy, Hardy by name, Hardy by nature, you know, I'm a Brit, stiff and perfectly waxed up a lip, and I'm like, I am going to survive. I am going to survive this. But after radiation and chemo and surgery and more chemo, that's all I was doing. That's all I was doing. I was just surviving something that I hadn't signed up for. Somebody had put me on the cancer train, and I didn't want to be there. And like the people of Panem, I was fighting for survival. Like Katniss, I was fighting to stay alive. And my hope was contained by my fear. My fear that I would be, you know, sitting with my daughters and my son and my husband. They would be holding my hand as I slipped away. That was my fear. My fear was contained. Yes, I believed in God. I felt some hope, but it was contained. And you know, Eugene Peterson agrees with President Snow, and I have a quote here from him as well. Hoping does not mean, does not mean doing nothing. It's the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulations, of scurrying and worrying. And hoping isn't dreaming. It's not spinning an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. It is imagination put in the harness of faith. It is a willingness to let God do it his way and in his time. Hope is imagination put in the harness of faith. And I don't know what happens to your imagination when tough stuff happens, when you get sucker punched by something, but my imagination goes bananas. It goes bonkers. And I, you know, it starts thinking about all these different things. And I need to strap that imagination into my faith. I need a harness of hope, something that is going to strap me in. And that's what I needed when I was deep in my cancer journey. I needed a harness of hope to strap me into my faith. But how do we get that? How do we get that harness of hope that is tight and is secure? Well, I want to introduce you to my son, James. We've got a picture of him. Now, I'm not short. 
And he is a six foot two college swimmer, and he is about 210 pounds of pure muscle, and he is not going to blow over in a strong wind. And this is a picture of him when, just after his 18th birthday, when he was about 19, a, vi a friend visited from New Zealand, a friend that he'd been in elementary school with, visited him from New Zealand as a belated birthday present. We said that he could go skydiving. And um, so him and his friend Tom, and they went off, and I drove them to the dive um, center. And, and, you know, they were just like all matcha. There was a lot of kind of bicep punching and high-fiving. And we had to open the windows because the testosterone was just <laughs> smogging us out. And we got there, and they got suited up, and they, you know, did all the drills, and they watched the safety video, and there was still all this macho stuff. But then we met his instructor. And I'm, this is what went through my mind. We've got the next slide. Six foot two college swimmer, five foot six pint-sized grizzly bear. James was going to be on his front. This guy was going to be behind him. He couldn't even see over his shoulder. And I'm thinking, I don't want my boy harnessed to that man and jumping out of a plane at 3,000 feet and hurtling to the ground at 120 miles per hour. What kind of harm? What, what am I thinking? And when I was diagnosed, it felt like I'd been kicked out of a plane at 3,000 feet, and I was hurtling towards the ground at 125 miles an hour with not much of a harness on. And I bet you feel like that when something sideswipes you, when your world falls apart. Because if you're sitting here and you have a pulse, and I hope you do, you, you can't skip the hard stuff in life. No one gets to skip the hard stuff. But how do we get that harness of hope? How do we get strapped in so that our imagination is, is buckled in and our fear can be contained? Well, I found the only way to do it was this three little steps. The first one is to check credentials. So in that hangar, I was checking that guy's credentials. I wanted to know how many, fl how many flights or jumps, successful jumps. I imagine they were all successful, given that he was actually still, still walking around. You know, where did he train? You know, how did he pack the parachutes? I wanted to check him out. I don't hire a plumber without checking out his credentials. And so I wanted to know that this guy was not going to let my son down. I wanted to see him buckled in, that it was all strapped in, uh, safe and sound. And I realized that if I want dangerous hope, I need to believe that the God that I am strapping myself to is not going to let me down. And so I checked out God's credentials. You know, like I said, I don't check, you know, I'm not going to go to a new hairdresser even without checking out their credentials and asking a few girlfriends. And so I think it's fine to check out God's credentials. I, I think he doesn't mind. At first I was like, mm, it's a bit blasphemous. But actually I don't think, I mean, he's written a whole book of his credentials. <laughs> it's called the Bible. And so I went and I looked at the Bible and the story after story of him coming through. I spoke to friends. I spoke to people who really trusted God. I came to things like ICU talks and said, well, they trust God and they trust God. And so overwhelmingly, the evidence is that he is trustworthy. So I'm like, okay, I can strap myself to him. I can harness the hope to him. But then I had to look at the lies because my mind started talking. You know, the chatter, the lies. Well, it's different for me. You know, Nehemiah, well, he's super spiritual. I'm not, I'm not as spiritual as that. 
you know, God, God's probably mad at me, or he's probably forgotten about me, or he's, you know, I'm just not as lovable as everyone else. I'm a bit weird. I'm a bit quirky. You know, and when I was with James in that hangar, the lies started coming. Well, you know, maybe the parachute won't open. You know, maybe they'll get stuck on the halfway out the plane and he'll be dragged along. Maybe a helicopter will come underneath. And have you heard of that when they jump through a helicopter? Chop, chop. No, it's not good. The lies, they happen. You know, and if we can't deal with the lies, we can't strap ourselves into this harness of hope. Well, what I found was I couldn't be hopeful if I was listening to all the lies, but I can't deal with the lies if I haven't looked at them and got them all out and laid them out and seen them in front of myself and said, well, that's a bit ridiculous when you leave it all out like that. If somebody was saying it to me, back at me, I'd say, well, don't be ridiculous. Of course you're lovable. Of course God loves you. Of course he hasn't forgotten you, but I can hear it in my own mind. And so I had to lay it all out there. And so I could start to deal with it. I had to start to deal with it. And the only way that I have found to deal with the lies is to listen to the love. To listen to God's love and to let it soak in. Because perfect love, his perfect love casts out the fear, doesn't it? It's like there's no room for the fear when we're filled with love. And my cancer hot on the heels of my sister's death and my mum's death, like the heat-seeking missile of death had locked in on me, didn't feel like God's love. I'm sure for Nehemiah, being born with scoliosis didn't feel, doesn't feel like God's just showering him with all this liquid love, you know, and what Heather's been going through. It doesn't feel like we're being loved by God when our world is falling apart and we're frightened and we're in pain. And even though we might know it in our heads, yeah, yeah, God loves me, because the Bible tells me so, do we know it here? This is where I struggle to know it. I can know it here, and I tell everybody about that God loves them, but it's here that I really, really struggle to know his love. And I, in, with James in the hangar, when I'm thinking, am I going to strap my burly six-foot-two son to this pint-sized grizzly bear with this harness that I'm worried isn't going to, to hold them. And I'm thinking, well, does this guy love my son enough to take care of him? And I'm thinking, yeah, probably. But he loves himself enough that they are going to be safe. He, that that pint-sized grizzly was taking care of himself as well. And so I'm like, okay, Okay, and Dave Ramsey says that fear is the enemy of hope because it's fear that contains the hope. It's fear that contains it. And the fear is what drives the lies. My li the lies I was believe believing were all driven by some sort of fear. And so I had to let this lo God's love somehow make this, what felt like a four-mile journey, from my head to my heart. And, you know, so again, I went back to the Bible, which is really just one long love letter, isn't it? From God to his people saying, I love you. I love you. And so story after story in there is of God's love for his people, his love for us, of his, com of his coming to us. And the ultimate expression of his love, of course, is the cross. 
where he gave his son. I'm like, I'm not giving my son. I mean, you're very nice, but I, you know, I'm not sure I, I would give my son for you. But that's what God did for us, for me. You know, and it's not because we're super nice people. It's because of who he is. He can't help but love us. And the more I wrapped my head around this truth that God loves me not because of who I am, but because of who he is. He is love. He's not just loving, but he is love. He can't help but love me. Whatever I do or don't do, however I've messed up or however I've, well I've done, he still loves me. And the same is true for you. It's the ultimate expression. And then, something that I kind of think saved me a little bit is that I came across this love letter from God. It's a love letter written entirely in Scripture, that it's 40 verses back to back. And in it, it just talks of this journey of love that God has for us. And I would read it and read it and let it soak in because that's the only way that I found that I could let his love just trickle from the gray, dusty matter that's up here into my heart that had grown quite hard over the years. It didn't really want to receive a lot of this love because the pain had gone, no, I'm in protection mode, thank you. I'm not gonna let the love in. And so I had to let it soak in, drip, by drip, and so I could believe that I was loved. And then I could start to deal with the lies. And then when I added that on top of the God's credentials that were also there, then this harness of hope tightened a bit more. And so every time I need to come back to his love and listen to his love to beat down the lies so that I build that on the credentials and it's tightened again. This harness of hope because I want dangerous hope. I don't want this tiny little spark. I don't want my hope contained. I want my fear contained, and it keeps coming back. Every time I have to sit in one of those darn tubes, the scan, and it's, you know, and I'm thinking, are they gonna find anything? Has it spread to my brain like it did for my mom? I mean, it's a long way from there to there, but it still can get there. There are blood vessels and things. You know, and so I, there's fear, and I, that's what I want contained. That's what I want for all of us. And I need it daily in the big things, like scans, but I need it in the small stuff. You know, when a conversation just is awkward with a friend and I'm thinking, oh, she's probably mad at me. No, it's okay. I am loved. I can be hopeful. And if we're going to live life to the full, like Jesus came to give us, then we need this dangerous hope. That's what I've come to believe, because I passionately believe that life doesn't have to be pain-free to be full. We can have the two. It's not separated. It's not like Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life to the full. By the way, there are also going to be these storms. So when you're in the middle of storms, that's just waiting for you. No, I think it's all together that somehow we can find full life in the midst of our pain. And by doing that, We've got to deal with the lies and sit in his love and build on the credentials so that we can contain the fear, so that our hope can become dangerous. So when we've done all that, I really want all of us to get our spark of hope fanned into flame tonight.
And I'm one of these people that I'm like, yeah, we can talk about God all night and how amazing he is, but wouldn't it be amazing if he, we allowed him to change us and we all left changed? So what I'd love to do is I would love to read this love letter over you. Read these 40 scriptures over you. And because I believe they're so powerful, I've, I've made a, a written version that I'd love to send you. I've even done an audio version. The English accent comes free of charge. <laughs> and so I've figured out a way that I can email all of you if you would like. You can either sign up outside at my table, or I've tr I'm trying for the first time ever to do one of these clever texty things. Oh, I want to show you two more. Yeah, I was going to show, sorry, I've jumped around a bit. I'm going to show you what actually how the story with James ended. Can we go back a little bit? So look what can happen with a harness of hope. And then, boom, dangerous hope. That's my son. Oh, God bless my mother's heart. Whew, yes. So that's what I want for all of us when things are, we need to be harnessed in. And so I'd love to read this um, love letter over you, and you can either sign up outside, but if you're a bit of a techie, you can get your phone out and text the word love letter to 444-999. And if you want to do that now, and, um, I think the keyboardy person... Yes, and um, what's going to happen is you can do that now or a little bit later tonight. I am going to, we're going to take some time to just quieten our minds, let this soak in, and we're going to go straight into um, worship afterwards. And during worship, there are going to be people here that would love to pray with you. And like I said, let's not leave here with unfinished business. These people want to draw alongside us and pray with us and bless what God is already doing. Which I just think he's doing, he's on the move. He's always doing something. And let's just move and get on board with what he is doing. So can I invite you to just close your eyes for a second? And I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to read this over us. Lord God, I thank you that your love for us is unconditional, that your love for us pours out of who you are and has absolutely nothing to do with us. We are your children and you love us. And that love can dispel the fears and the lies that contain our hope in you. Lord, I pray that you would release hope tonight. Hope that is dangerous. Hope that will go out into the world for your good and your glory. My dear sweet child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up, I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being, for you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You weren't a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. 
you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I'm not distant and angry, but I'm the complete expression of love. And it's my desire to lavish my love on you simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand. For I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has never has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore and I rejoice over you with singing. I'll never stop doing good to you and I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. I'm able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine, for I am your greatest encourager. I'm also the Father who comforts you in your troubles. When you're brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and will take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your Father, and I love you even as I love my Son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is, re is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I'm not counting your sins. His death is the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my Son, Jesus, you receive me, and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been the father and will always be the father. My question is, will you be my child? I'm waiting for you.